that explores personal evolution through our choices and overcoming life's challenges. The Evolve community is your ultimate destination for personal growth and evolution. True to form, I'm, I get to continue to be the dumbest person in the room. That's fantastic. Thank you. Did you ever get a, uh, a quantum physical uh, explanation for how to uh, bake a meatloaf from a corn stalk? Bake a meatloaf from a corn stalk? So Matt, we like to start our show by asking our guests what's inspiring you right now. Is there music you're listening to? Is there a book you're reading, a person in your life? What is inspiring Matt Bellows today? Today, it's probably the same as most days and it's stories. Um, I'm an advent, a- avid consumer of, of cinema and television, um, hence the industry I've chosen to work in. Um, and it's it's an interesting time of year because usually this isn't like big movie times, right? Usually that's in fall and winter, but you know, things changed for the last uh, 365. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that are coming available now. And, you know, through the Screen Actors Guild and the WGA and stuff, you get advanced copies of a lot of stuff. It's kind of late now because everything's streaming. So really making a concerted effort to watch everything that could potentially win something. Um, through <clears throat> the SAG Awards, the Producers Guild Awards, the Globes, whatever, trying to see everything that I can. And, uh, and there's so much good stuff. There is. It's a good year Man. for movies. It's, it's really exciting to see uh, uh, so much more diversity and color and, and stuff in the, in, and there's better stories. I think it always comes back to original stories and we're seeing a lot more of those, I think, this year than... Hmm you know, sequels and that kind of thing. And maybe one silver lining in movie land with COVID is some of these movies kind of rose up a little bit because there wasn't as much noise from the commercial film world. Like, you know, there wasn't a Transformers 13 this year. Yeah, um, <laughs> there is. I'm starring in it. It's just I'll not coming out it. for. Yeah, I'll thank you. Good. Yeah, Good. I, won't, I won't miss it. But I am really trying to watch everything. Although I will admit that last night I didn't really want to think and watched Coming to America too. And it was a hoot. What did, what did you think? Did you like it? I did. I thought it was a lot of fun. Like, okay. I barely remember the first one. Um, but there's so much fun throwback. I love the first one. Oh, my it's, gosh. You'll love the second one. It's, it is the first one. Again, it's just been so long to see Eddie Murphy doing his thing and playing all these different characters. It was really fun. Um, I actually so loved Arsenio Hall most in that. Yeah, no, my son loved Arsenio. Yeah, yeah, I loved Arsenio. Yeah, he loved Arsenio. Especially the, when he was the actor in the barber sh- in the barber shop. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the best. <laughs> uh, yeah, so a little but mindlessness was, last night, but it was totally good... just didn't really feel like because I mean a lot of the movies, you know, they're they're asking a lot of big questions and a lot of a lot of heavy thinking, which is I love about mm. uh, good cinema, and so I've been trying to watch all that and really trying to get in there and see as much as I can. I usually do that, but. This year, I feel like I'm seeing more than usual just because time is horrible hmm. yeah. uh, in new ways in the last year. So, but that that's probably the main thing. I couldn't pinpoint a specific one. I did, I am a really, I really loved Nomad Land. I'd throw a pitch out for that uh, hmm. to director Chloe Zhao. Um, won Golden Globe and it's, it's going to be, it's not, you know, it's Oscar nominations come out tomorrow. Um, so it will definitely be nominated. I wouldn't be surprised if it won. 
I've met Chloe and spent time with her, spent a week working on something with her. Um, so it's just cool to like know somebody yeah. that's doing that. And the movie's amazing, and especially if you grew up in Utah at all, it, it really takes place in the Arizona, California, that corridor that if you're used to driving from LA to, to Utah. What, what's yeah. the name of the movie? Nomad. Nomad's Land. Land. Yeah, Nomad. I heard it's Nomad. Nomad. Yeah, Nomad. Just Nomad? Nomad. Yeah. Nomad Land. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and it's that's what uh, Francis McDormand, right? Yeah, Francis McDormand. Yeah. And uh, yeah. forget the most of the cast is actually not actors, which uh, is fascinating that, that she was able to bring out such like intimate performances from people that are actually just living this life of hmm. in RVs and trailers and vans and things all over. Interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. But it's great to hear that uh, other other actors and other creators' work is inspiring you. And, and I think Miles was saying before the show that uh, you are the first artist that we've had on the on the podcast. We uh, we love artists. We love uh, artists who create in many different ways. So we're excited to have you. So uh, with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another uh, episode of the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that explores personal evolution through our choices and overcoming the challenges life throws at us. Uh, combing his beard with a small batch, single origin hipster beard oil in Las Vegas, Nevada is Casey Mitchell. Welcome, Casey. Hello. I like how you just flashed the sign as if all of our people listening to the podcast could see the sign. Thank you for your gang sign. You know, it's, uh, you know, that's what we do here in, in LV town. <laughs> We're all about the signs. That's great. And milking the cows from the fields of the Amish in Ohio. <laughs> Is W. Miles uh, Riley. Welcome, Miles. Miles. Have you ever actually milked a cow? And you're on mute, by the way, Miles. Muted yeah. while he's milking the cows. <laughs> have I ever have milked you... a cow? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, by I. Hand? Yeah, by hand. It's on. Actually, it's on Facebook. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to do this. We're going to. I'm going to throw up. something out there. If it really is on Facebook. And one of our listeners finds it and they send it to me. Uh, we'll send you an Evolve hat. So the first person that finds oh, nice. the video of Miles milking a cow. Well, uh, and hiding out in the mountains of Utah, I'm Steve Cutler. Today, our guest is accuser number one, second only to Ronan the accuser, the vaping vampire himself, Matthew Bellows. Matt, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We I believe the vaping vampire has uh, sued Jewel and moved to. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I, I bring those two up because I think those are my kids' two favorite characters that you've played. Uh, but Matthew Bellows is a professional actor and acting teacher. Uh, with over 55 television and film credits, you may recognize Matthew from Captain Marvel, New Amsterdam, NCIS, NCIS LA, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, MacGyver, and many, many more uh, shows that it would take the entire podcast to list. In addition to private teaching, uh, Matthew is a member of the acting faculty at the New York Film Academy, where he teaches acting technique advanced scene study, performing Shakespeare, solo performance, the business of acting, and more. Matthew holds a Master's of Fine Arts in Acting from the prestigious Old Globe University of San Diego and a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Acting from Brigham Young University. Um, Matt, the first question generally for most people is going to be different for you. Miles is kicking us off and he's got a challenge for you. 
Okay. Actually, it's not a challenge. You just read his resume. The worst, what was go back and read the part about Shakespeare. It just blows everything up. <laughs> okay, hey, just stick with the plan. Come on. Throw, throw <laughs> All right, I'll stick it. with the plan. Let's Let's ask the question. Right, well, I'll ask the question. So it's it, it was you have a choice of three things. Okay. It could be you can recite a a bit of a Shakespeare monologue. Or I could recite a bit of a monologue and you'd have to recognize it. Or we ask you a specific uh, Shakespearean question. Ooh, well, I mean, I don't I don't perform for free. You can't afford me. So it's going to have to be one of the other. (laughs) You're assuming uh, how much money I have. Did you know? (laughs) I don't handle that. That's my agent's department. So that's what. (laughs) Um, I'll go with, I want to hear you and see if I can figure it out. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I like this. Ah, here we go. All right, you ready? Mm -hmm. Come on, old fellow. Let's go. If music be the food of love, play Play on. on. Give me excess of it. That surfeiting the appetite may sicken and so die. So you went with, you went with Midsummer. you like went for the low-hanging fruit? Midsummer? (laughs) Midsummer? That's not midsummer. There's a lover. There's a lover with a lot of feelings in every one of those. So Midwinter. Like, yeah, but it's no, it's not midsummer. Wow. <laughs> it's it's twelfth night. Is it's it late 12th? fall? I've been in both, so I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah, that was that was the Duke's the Duke's opening uh, lines from mids um twelfth night. Oh uh, well, I forgot. You win. What, what do I? What do, I, what do you win? <laughs> uh, we I we shut console. the podcast off. <laughs> consolation prize well now matt you have acted in a lot of different things you've got a massive yes. resume and it's really impressive to see uh, over the past what six or seven years you've had a lot of consistent work um which is really not common in acting the, the quote unquote starving actor uh, the actor who is, you know, typically a waiter um, is probably a more common theme. W- what are some of the keys to the consistency that you've had in keeping uh, keeping work going? Oh, I think oh, yeah. probably more than anything is a high pain tolerance. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and uh, I say that with a little tongue in cheek, but also there's something to that. I think that it is a it is a tough game, and I would say probably the only field more competitive or equal to it is professional athletics mm. that would be more so because you can age out of a time in there and you don't really age out of of film and television sure so you have you could keep going whether but the cost benefit analysis could be really strange so i think i think a, a willingness to put up with how hard something can be um that exceeds perhaps some of my peers willingness to put up with how hard something can be not everybody um I, and I think it's just a consistent focus. Like when, uh, you know, once upon a time for the audience, I used to work for Steve Cutler. Um, and uh, I left working for you to come to Los Angeles. Uh, right. I recall that was what I remember exactly. It was before grad school. And, uh, and I pretty much, once I went to grad school at the Old Globe, um, it was just a doubling down on the decision that this is the thing that I am going to do. And wow. it slowly not slowly, rather rapidly, I guess, once I got in, it was, it sort of eliminated the, you know, backup plan, the plan B, any of those ideas, which I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with, but for me, it made it like, this is tunnel vision now for that period of time and on. I I didn't go to graduate school for kicks. I went because Mm -hmm. I wanted to do this as a profession. I knew that it would help in a myriad of ways, not only just the education, but 
as far as like the prestige, you know, it's very competitive and having a stamp of approval from a top 10 program goes a long way. Well, and, uh, so I want to go back a little yeah. bit because you're talking about pain tolerance and you're yeah. talking about perseverance. And one of the things that's always fascinated me about your story and the life you have lived is I, I got a chance to, to be in that window watching you go through this transition, you know, and yeah. I saw you go through this transition of going back to California because this wasn't your first time to California, right? Right. I, so I, you I had went to... and then I almost quit the whole thing. I came back, right. came back to you and then, and then I left again for graduate school and then I haven't, haven't wavered since that point. So, so tell, tell our listeners a little bit about the story because you, you've been to California a couple of times. Uh, you went to New York. You spent some time there. What did that journey look like? And, and Matt, I guess I, I want to, before you go into it, the reason I want to preface this uh, with this question or statement is I think a lot of people, when they run into a challenge um, or a roadblock in their life, they tend to think, okay, well, maybe I'm not on the right path and I need to just do something completely different. You didn't do that. You eventually just said, "I this is the direction I want to go, and I'm doubling down. So from New York to California twice to Utah, um, walk our listeners through the story to get to where you're at right now. Uh, well, let's see. I was born... No, um, <laughs> the back of a Chevy, back of the exact, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing, right? Because, uh, it's definitely a difficult profession to get moving in. And I, I, I think that any goal that a person has is you're going to come up against a roadblock or something's going to be challenged. Something's going to get in your way and make it seem like it's not possible. And so I wouldn't say that this is all that different, um, than, than a lot of people, but from, from my undergraduate degree, I went to New York for a year and I knew nothing. Like uh, I, I, part of the reason I teach the business of acting to these bachelor's and master's students here is because I got like a six class version of it as a 20 something. I had no idea mm. what the hell I was doing when I got to New York. I didn't understand unions. I didn't understand a million little bits and pieces of all of that. So I spent that year in New York and then eventually started to, to get some jobs here and there. And then, then I went to Los Angeles and tried all of that. And I found, I found it to just almost seem impossible. Uh, I didn't give myself that much time though. It was a year and a half in LA that first time and taking classes and pay to play places to meet casting directors and all these things that I didn't even know existed until I got here. And then eventually it just, it truthfully it didn't only become too much for me, it became too much for the people in my life. I felt like, I felt like I was, <clears throat> a source of dragging everybody down. And I thought maybe there was an easier way out. I thought maybe I'll come back and do the traditional thing. So I came back back home for a bit and thought about hanging up the entire acting hat. Um, I'd auditioned for graduate school at that point, uh, two years. And I, whenever I auditioned for graduate school, I only ever auditioned for uh, programs that were sort of ranked in the top five, top 10. Um, so I, I wasn't just trying to go. I was like, if I'm gonna go, it's gonna be to the best or it's not going to be, um, which means I didn't get in anywhere the first year. Mm. And then uh, a year goes by, I don't get in anywhere the second year. And then that year goes by, that's the year I'm like, well, maybe I should call it a day. I come home, try to save some money, think about some other kind of law school or business. I don't know what I was thinking. I was just trying to figure out a way to be normal, I guess, to do something traditional, seemed safe. There's definitely a lot of cultural pressure growing up in Salt Lake to do something that's just like vanilla, I'd say. It's right, just right. you know, the normal thing, very 1950s mentality about stuff. 
And uh, but then I was like, you know what? I'm going to audition for graduate school one more time. And I had a friend back in Utah who was doing a play production of the Scarlet Pimpernel. And where they were like, hey, one of my closest college professors was directing. She was in it. She was like, we need a guy. And I was like, you know what? Sure. Screw it. I'll do it. That sounds fun. I'll do it for fun. And I did it for fun. And like, I was like, oh, damn it, man. I can't not, I can't not do this. I can't not do this. I just, I was back in the pocket of where I went to school with, around artists that I knew that had nurtured me, that were my friends. And I auditioned for grad school one more time. And instead of not getting in anywhere, I got in four places um, after three years, all of a sudden from zero to four. And I get asked often by students, like, what was the difference? Um, and I think some of it was, there's a little bit of letting go and understanding that what these schools particularly are looking for is a person, not a product. Um, they don't want to see how good you can be. They want a mm. sense of who you really are. There's an authenticity yeah. required that, uh, you know, you get used to auditioning and being like, look how good I am. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's, yeah, it's the mark of someone that's very green. And I was, um, I, I thought, I, I mean, I was hot shit when I graduated college. I thought I was, I played Hamlet. Yeah, senior year and I was like I want to get out there and I got an agent right away and everything and it was really humbling to go through all of that but that, that you know that's one setback after the other already like right out of school like can't get in the union can't get a job can't get into grad school can't integrate get and then finally so there's something about consistently moving towards your goal that uh, if it's really what you want to do and you really believe in it um that it requires letting other things go. It requires missing opportunities. You can't live your life, hashtag FOMO, because mm. you'll never do anything if you're constantly fearing what you're missing out on by focusing on the thing that you really wanna do. It takes a, an odd sense of belief in yourself um, to, to go that far. I mean, I, and I meet a lot of actors, I know a lot of friends that are actors and everyone endures some massive level of rejection that's just part of the deal but i think that right. i grew i grew up in utah my my dad always worked in sales and so most of my jobs in college were in sales door to door sales sales at conventions whatever and the whole act of you want to buy some knives i didn't sell knives but just as an example you know yeah. and no you want to buy knives what about now what about now what about now what about now and eventually somebody says yes mm. Um, and so I was conditioned, I think, to or I trained myself to be like, this is the same thing. You just have to keep asking and believe that what you're selling is good enough. And in this case, what I was selling was myself. Well, there's um, a couple of things I think that are really uh, uh, important uh, from my perspective when you talk about that. There's a persistence aspect. I mean, yeah. you you stayed persistent, but you also kind of tested yourself. You know, you were you you allowed yourself to explore. And to say, is this really what I want to do? And I remember a conversation you and I had when you said, hey, Steve, I'm going all in. I'm going back to California. I've got into getting into this master's program and you, you went all in. So there's the persistence piece, but there's an authenticity. And I think that in one of the things I've noticed in watching your career over the years is you, you are very, you come across uh, on the screen as the guy I know you're, you're a good actor, but you're still the guy I know you're very authentic in that. And I think that um, it's a great lesson for a lot of people in life that if they just stick to what is authentically themselves, they're going to find whatever is going to be best for them. So how did you how did you find that for yourself? What was the process that you went through to say, instead of putting the show on and going big, 
uh, and, and doing, as you call it, the rookie mistakes. How did you find that authenticity that you were then able to translate into the career that you built? That is a great question. Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's a little just maturity and life experience, um, heartbreak, rejection, growth, mm. all of the things that, uh, that make, a, make a man what they really are. I think one of the things that I find important about stories and acting is that it breeds in those that are open to it a sense of empathy um, that people that don't uh, maybe appreciate stories in the same way don't learn the same way like you spend a lot of time in other people's shoes if you do this a lot of time thinking about how someone else might think a lot of time wondering what if this was different what if this was different and and having no tunnel vision about that and i think that you you grow maybe in a i don't know if you grow quicker or not but you're more conscious maybe of i don't know like i don't know what your guys's minds but like i think i think it breeds someone who's more conscious of themselves because it's constantly reading about people's experiences and trying to emulate those experiences and and trying to understand other points of view, living in other places, seeing other people, getting out of whatever bubble you might be in, whether we're large or small, all kind of breeds this sense of where your place in the universe really is, I suppose. Um, and I, I think that just naturally makes you want, hopefully makes you want to be more honest um, because uh, in some ways, you realize how special you are and how special you aren't. The more yeah. people you know, the more points of view you interact, the more ways you're willing to admit that you were wrong or could be wrong about something. Um, you start to, I hope, just mature. And I think that, you know, if you, we always say like in class, like you need to have, you, you can't make acting your life. Otherwise you don't have anything to say is you need to experience the world so that you can then share that experience through your performance and your, your stories and those types of things. And um, I feel like I just packed it in there, I guess. I just did a lot. I don't know. Um, okay, uh, I, I think you, I think you bring up a great point about diving into stories. I, I've, I've always been an avid reader and I love stories. I love not just reading uh, technical type books or business books, but stories I think tell and show, like you said, uh, how important you are and how important you aren't. And I think that both of those things are essential for that growth and maturity. Because once you realize where your greatness is and you realize where your greatness isn't, that allows you to be your most authentic self. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. I think uh, there's a, a bunch of friends and I were talking about this concept a little while ago. I don't know why. Um, and these are friends that aren't in the industry at all. We're just talking about story. And someone threw a quote out from an author and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't source the quote. So forgive me. But uh, it was something like stories don't tell us what to think. They're there to tell us what to think upon something like that, that yeah. it's, it's there to ask questions and uh, yeah. spend a lot of time asking a lot of questions, but openly doing so if you're doing this versus secretly, quietly asking questions and not telling your family about it. You're, you're asking questions for a living. And uh, I think that that gets you to some places faster in this regard, right? Like maybe not. Yeah. Um, I also think in, in relation to your earlier question about how to accomplish so much in the time that I have, and I'm not, it's not a pat on the back moment, but it's a lot of credits in a short period of time. And I think that it's something to do with calculated risk-taking as well, that uh, there's, you know, you got to make, you got big swings, man, big swings, big leaps. Um, but it's, 
it's not like oh, let's just see what happens we it's yeah. <laughs> about like well what's down you know how's the air today what do, what do i know about all of this and then even though there's no guarantee it's going to work out having the courage to say let's just find out and i feel like a lot of people don't do that um for many good reasons and and but just being willing to say screw it let's see let's find out I got, i've done yeah. all the research that i can um and let me go do the thing that is scary. I think a lot of people do all the research they can and then choose the thing that is possibly the safest and the least scary. And I've sort of adopted a philosophy of learn everything and then do the hardest <clears throat> route. Do pick the hard path, right? Of all yeah. the Yeah, you didn't no, you um, just sound like you're making the, you're, you're making the fun definition of grit. You know, it's really interesting looking yeah. looking at you, the picture and the salmon background and that, but you're really like you're talking about grit. Great book, by the way, if you haven't read yeah. Grit. Um, I read it last year. I can't remember the author. Um, excellent book, Grit. Mm. You no, know, uh, Matthew, you, well, when you, uh, some things came to mind when you were talking about your experience and when you got accepted into grad school and that process, it sounds like you got rid of plan B and you went all in, not just physically but emotionally mentally and spiritually into this is just what i'm going to do and this is who i'm going to be can you can you touch on maybe a couple pivotal emotions or the word to me uh, hinge points or things that really pushed you like when you made that commitment like what 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 was the next day like or what was you know there's a there's a there's a term or not a term. There's a, uh, a something about not having a plan B. You know the back in the Vikings when they would co take, come and take on a new, a new challenge, burn, burn a new the boats. island. They burn. They they get to that new island. They burn all their boats. It's it's all we only have one option. It's called winning. There's no other plan. And, and so it's I I I I say that to myself a lot. Burn the boats. But how was that for you? I mean that's. Uh, that's what I'm hearing in your life anyways. So I feel like it's something that sort of, I, I had a really clear two roads diverged in the wood moment. And and Steve was talking about, cause I came to him and I was like, Hey man, yeah. like uh, I got in and there were so many thoughts I had about not going and so many thoughts I had about going. And I've been working towards this thing since, you know, I was 17. I had a high school theater teacher. I was student body president of my high school, which for whatever that is, I remember I wasn't going to do the musical because I felt like I was not being obligated to what? I don't know, the dances that I was supposed to be putting together. Homecoming, man. Come on. It's a big week. Yeah. We go. And, uh, <laughs> but I was doing crazy for you that year. And uh, I, I ended up doing the show and my high school uh, theater teacher, who I'm still in touch with. Uh, he's, he said something about Colorado and I was like, well, I'm not going to do this um, for the, you know, this is just for fun, just for right now. And, uh, I don't remember what he said, but I remember the moment in the conversation because I've never forgotten that he was just basically saying that's ridiculous. You should do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so here I am getting into grad school. Finally, after all this effort and all this time, um, focusing in on this thing that I've always felt a lot of pushback culturally from growing up. Uh, wherever, yeah. um, whether perceived or real, I don't know. Um, and when I made the call, I was like, I can't, I didn't want to look back on that moment and felt like I took the easy, the easy way. Like I know, I knew what the road 
looked like down one way, sort of, or of course I had ideas of it. I had no idea what life looked like down this path to go to grad school and just be like, this is the thing I'm doing, I'm acting. Um, and once I finally did that and moved to graduate school, I didn't realize how many boats it would burn, I suppose. I didn't realize like how yeah. many options I did have, how safe I had actually played it. Um, Cause I'd always sort of felt like I'd been quite committed but once I got down there and, you know, was spending all that time, 24 hours a day for two and a half years working on this one idea, um, I realized how many, you know, cables I had holding me back previously in a lot of ways, emotionally, spiritually, uh, whatever. And those start to go away the more further forward you get into a territory that was completely virginal to me. Uh, I didn't have any acting mentors. I don't know anybody that's done what I've done. I had the advantage or disadvantage of figuring it all out by myself with the teachers that I had in school. Right. And that's, that's awesome. It's been that's interesting awesome. because there's not really anybody to tell you how to do this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You really did burn the boats. And I, uh, from, I, I think back to one of the conversations you and I had, and I don't remember all the details of the conversation, but I, I remember, I remember the passion and you, you and I talking and you're saying, Steve, I just, I, this is where I want to go. This is where I want to be. And the conflict that you had too. And I think that before any big thing happens in life, there's conflict. And like yeah. as you said, you had to, de, you had to decide between those diverging of the two roads. And I just, I remember the look in your eyes and the passion that you had. And I just remember thinking to myself, if you don't do this, if you don't go try and go all in on this, What's your life going to be like? You know, there's too many of us bland, boring people out there that uh, just yeah. do, do the day-to-day -day jobs. And uh, it's been really cool to watch you burn the boats and to continue to, to build a career the way that you have. You, you, you also, you've got a lot of um, credits to your name, like you said. Um, you've done a lot of different types of acting. You've done comedy, you've done drama, you've done, you know, you've done a lot of different genres. You've done television, theater, movies, but you've also got a physicality to you that I think is really um, interesting. And you uh, worked for a period of time at Universal uh, doing in the stunt. Uh, what, what was it called? The stunt show? Yeah, the Waterworld stunt show, the, the longest running, most popular stunt show in the world. Yeah, and and that was oh, yeah, uh, that's awesome. I love really that. cool to see. Um, out of all of those things, I'm sure you learned a lot, and I'm sure that it's helped to can continue to shape who you are as a person and an actor. Um, what's your favorite? What do you enjoy the most? Oh man, you know it's funny you mentioned Waterworld. I don't think that I've ever had a more enjoyable job in my entire. Uh, yeah, life. Mm, that looks cool so much, and like. That's another one of those things where I had no idea what I was getting into. I saw an open <laughs> call. I'd seen the show once upon a time. And I remember being really impressed when they, the, you know, the curtain call, they come around and it's like, blah, 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 from The Walking Dead, blah, 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 from yeah. like, whoa, what? I didn't understand that they were stuntmen. I thought like they were just actors. And so I went to this open call, like right off the bus from, from New York uh, from when I moved back here after grad school. And, uh, you know, I went through this two week open call process um, with dialogue and fight choreography and fitness challenges. And then two weeks of um, there was a rehearsal on the Waterworld set, which is pretty wild that a lot of people get cut. It's like Top Chef Stuntman is sort of what it felt like. And uh, got through all that. It's, it's an incredible community of people. I've been really lucky to find myself in these groups of people 
actors and artists who they really the families brotherhoods and sisterhoods of people who really support each other a lot and, and the stunt community is just amazing it is they're they're so kind and cool and loving and and coming from a you know a fitness background like the convergence of athletics and and, and like film theater performance like it was just like a perfect little combination of, of good times it's not a job you could do forever um there's you know a ceiling to it but most people just kind of did I booked a series and I had to leave and do that. And that kind of made it impossible to go back. And, but that was, that was super fun, uh, man. Like the thing about the film stuff is they're always, they're brief experiences, right? You've put in a lot of time and effort. Miles, you could probably speak to this to get on for a day or two, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a, who knows each job yeah. ends. And even in the theater, every job you do ends. And so there's something really freaking frustrating about that, but also something kind of <laughs> that the thing you're doing is only right then that is it and so there's a little live in the moment like you're here you're on set you're doing this thing that you're not going to get to you know i did ncis los angeles uh last fall summer i'm not going to get to do that show again i got to be there i got to work with those people during those circumstances that day shoot that machine gun that day and so yeah. you try to be a little bit more precious with those which i love that i love that uh, clip by the way yeah that's awesome <laughs> it was cool yeah, yeah. so I, I i don't know like i think i don't know if that answered your question but no, it was mind. great it I, did, I, yeah my uh, you led me to another question that i hadn't thought about before so in in this pandemic that we've been going through i think a lot of people have woken up to this idea that so much of our life can be turned upside down and we have to start again in certain areas. We have to, maybe a job ended, maybe, uh, you know, what someone was doing before they, uh, they don't have that option anymore. Your profession ends on a regular basis and you have to start again. You have to start new every single time. And even if you got on a series where you're working for a few weeks or a few months doing something, it ends and you have to start again. That's really, for the human psyche, that is an extremely difficult thing to do. How do you deal with that start and stop? What, is, what have you learned over the years from having to start and stop and start new things again that's allowed you to continue on? Well, it's, it's back to that, like living in a high level of pain tolerance, right? <laughs> Someone is just always poking. You wake it. up and you whip yourself every morning. Like, this is just what life is. Um, yeah. And the moments of respite when you're, you're working. Um, it's interesting. One of the things that I experienced with COVID, because I know a lot of people in a lot of different industries, you know, it was a year ago today that uh, a whole bunch of shows just said, we got to pull up the rug for a little while and see. And we didn't know what was going to happen. Like our industry was done. Like a lot of people I know just moved their computers home and life went on. Uh, mm. We were, we were done. We had, there was no way to know what was going to happen. There was so much information that nobody knew about everything. And then as far as the industry went, like the worst case scenario was like, okay, is how long is this years? Like yeah. I've dedicated yeah. my entire <laughs> life and sacrificed and worked so hard to be where I am. And I was kind of on a roll. I felt like before COVID and, so that sense of how things end, but hopefully they end at a higher level each time. So you, you're getting some sort of upward mobility. Yeah. Um, and it, it was really challenging. I found a lot of friends and, and peers that I know really evaluating whether or not they really wanted to do this, um, which I completely understand. Um, I found that people were going through 
problems and questions that I went through with the grad school thing where I was like, no, I've made, I've made the call. And now here I am having made the call. So I didn't, I didn't feel a sense of, should I do this anymore? I didn't know how to, to get through that. But I, I'd say that the thing it's about, it's about creating habits and routines for yourself to create some sort of sense of normalcy in a business mm. that has no normalcy. Um, the biggest thing for me is always uh, fitness activity movement, um, staying in some sort of pattern of starting your day or whatever with, with meditative exercise of some kind. Once like the gyms were taken away, I really struggled with that last year. Um, and I tried to get working out outside and stuff and I adjusted and those types of things, but I found it, found it difficult because I realized that that routine, I memorized my lines on the stair meal at the gym, right? So once mm, I didn't have that, yeah. I was like, well, where do I memorize now? Um, it become really reliant on some of these things. So it was trying to extrapolate, well, what is it about the thing that I'm getting what specifically am I getting out of the things that I'm doing and how can I recreate those in a new environment and, and trying to reinvent that way. Um, and hope holding on to hope. I think I, we all felt like we were in prison a little bit, just you know, someday you're getting out sure. of here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just continually believing and visualizing, trying to be ready with this industry. You're always trying to be ready. Like I, I don't have any plans for any auditions this upcoming week that could all change dramatically tomorrow. I could have 10, I could have two, I could have none. I have no idea. So that requires that I have to be ready just in case all the time. Um, prep. You know, yeah. in New York City, in, in, in the city, what I used to see, and it's interesting because working around actors and then being part of New York City's party scene, because I was not an actor, but what I would see is the, 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 the actors who somehow found a way to stay tethered to the industry with this string that wasn't strong. It wasn't a strong tether, but they maintained it with the people that actually had gone on to a certain amount of success. And there were other people who just lost that tether. And so they, I would run into them in the party scene of New York's and you could tell that this, you were not going to make it because they could, couldn't find that string to keep them tethered to the industry, even in a minimal way. Mm. So all of a sudden, when that string went, when, when nothing was going on, as you just said, Matt, you know, this is a week of, you know, nothing, no auditions coming up. In New York, if people didn't have anything coming up, they just lost it. And those were the people that would come to New York, last for a month, and then they were out of the city where the people that still maintain that certain tethering to the industry, no matter how ephemeral it was or how intangible it was, they still kept it. And those were the people that actually had gone on to a certain amount of success in the industry. Yeah. You know, I think like uh, I, te I teach, right? Like I, I teach college, like te I'm a, like an adjunct faculty for the New York Film Academy. Um, and I, I love it. I, I, and in some ways, that always getting back into that had been years since I'd been in college. Right. And like, I started teaching there two and a half years ago, just picking up a couple classes and it's definitely just constantly forces me to rethink well, I'm mm. teaching you to do this. Oh, wait, am I doing that? And then it just always, it always keeps that like uh, that creative thing kind of percolating because I'm talking about it all the time. Yeah. During the, so you're constantly just like living, living it because you're talking about it consistently, consuming stories, watching stories. Um, I'm lucky to be someone who auditions a fair amount. So I'm, I'm, I don't think a week goes by that I don't act. Um, 
former to this, I was helping run a nonprofit called The Collaborative, where we held classes. I, I started my own film festival. We did two years with that. And so I was, I've always been, I've always got my fingers in something that's keeping that, those juices flowing and, and giving that satisfaction about maybe not necessarily creating for me, but I get great pleasure out of helping other people create. Yeah. Um, you're, you're strongly tethered. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. Or I think that's, that's important to, to, to keep your, uh, to keep that tether to your passion and, you know, Matt, you're talking about hope. You're talking about creating routines that keep you uh, stable in some instable times or some unstable times and some instability. But I, I like what you said earlier when you said that hopefully you're not just starting again because you're starting higher. And I think that that's something through coaching and speaking over the years that I've seen with people where if a challenge comes up, it's, it's easy for us as human beings to look at that challenge and say, oh my gosh, I'm starting again. I'm back to zero. And that's not really the case because your experience, your background, your what you've done has allowed you to become better. And I think that's an important thing, an important lesson that uh, the, the, as the resume grows, as your skills grow, you become a better person. You've evolved into a completely different person because of all of those different things. So those are some great points there. And I love how you're talking about staying tethered to it. Talk about the film festival. That's something that I, I don't, I don't know much about. What was the film festival that you started? Sure. So uh, <clears throat> things have evolved a little bit since, since COVID and I'm moved in a different direction with this stuff, but it's right. the okay. film festival. Um, it, it'll be, it'll be back, but uh, the, it's the first and only film festival that uh, you have to be uh you have to have an actor in an above the line position. It's for just for shorts to get started. Meaning that mm. um, actor, director, actor, writer, actors, uh, uh, cinematographer, somebody that is also an actor creating content. Most people in this industry are hyphenated now. Like you're not, there's not a lot of people that are like, what do I do? Well, I'm just a director and young people that are starting right. out. Okay. Has to be a jack of a couple of trades. And there's a lot of people out there that are excellent in one field and also pretty excellent in another. And so this was about celebrating people who do more than one thing um, and particularly the actor as content creator and storyteller, because th there's a lot of actors out here and all over the country and the world that make great stuff, write great stuff or produce great stuff or direct great stuff, but they're also actors because their training came through that background. And so the, the point of that whole thing was to, we did it two years in a row. Last year was the year before last rather was, was bigger and um, hope to see it come back under a different incarnation with a, a different, more expansive company that is helping build, that is meant to be continuing education and networking for not just actors, but uh, up and coming producers, directors, and writers. Um, that uh, it should be, website should be launched in a couple of weeks, but uh, it's not out yet, but the film festival will stick with that. And it's about empowering young artists to get connected. Um, mm. And to get their stuff seen and to get it made and to meet other people. If you get off the bus to Los Angeles, bus to Los Angeles, it's like it's big, it's huge. Like it takes two years to figure out where you're going. I still use Google Maps when I live here. Um, <laughs> so it's You've hard been there to, for six, seven years, right? Seven years, like ten years total, all in all. Yeah, it's like right, okay. Um, but the people, it's hard to get a sense of community, and uh, and so. I fell into a community of artists here that was part of something that I, we, I helped turn into a nonprofit called The Collaborative. Uh, it was just like a class that we turned into something much grander that eventually became a film festival. And so now I'm working on something that will be 
that, but bigger and better and involving more creative positions than just actors, focusing more on content creation for people, um, short film, so, whatever you write, but yeah. So we've talked about actually the struggles and the art, you know, the artists and how hard it is. Let's get to some fantasies. Okay. <laughs> uh, what kind of a podcast is this? Yeah. I, I, I was a little bit worried. Yeah. Casey, um, what was that line? A couple you said of directors earlier? you want to work with. God forbid. <laughs> What's that? Okay. Is there yeah, a couple of directors that you want to work with? Oh, a couple man. of actors, somebody you'd like to share the screen with just because he or she is brilliant and be directed by somebody who's just brilliant? I mean, I think there's probably a lot of brilliant people that we don't know yet. Um, yeah. Kind of where my, I, I, when people ask me like, what role do you want to play and who do you want to be? Yeah. Which is, it's, it's a fine question. Um, but I've been asked that many, many a times. And the question, the, the answer is I want to play the, something new. Um, something that hasn't been written yet. Something that is that I can bring something special to that that isn't my version of something, but it's it's something new. And I'm excited about um, the new directors and people. Of course, I want to work with you know. Give me Aaron Sorkin, Martin Scorsese yesterday. Of course, of course, I do. It sounds great. <laughs> um, is he, did, did he call you? Do you know something that I don't know? Will you tell me? Um, <laughs> but, but of course, those people. But I think that the most exciting films that I see are happening have always been in the independent circuit. I, I fell in love with independent film growing oh, up, yeah. being able to go to Sundance. Like I'm so lucky that like being in Salt Lake that that's our backyard. If you yeah. wanted to, it was just a thing that you could do. And I started doing that in college, just going up and waiting in line and snow and the cold and trying to just get into shit that I didn't know what it was going to be. And some of it was just that shit. And some of it was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I love that surprise. And I really, if, I, if there's anything, I want to be a part of that kind of a surprise. I want to be mm. in a film like that, that you didn't know. And, and now all of a sudden you're like, wow. Um, and I think to some degree, some anonymity is required for that because you're not putting, you're not like, oh, here's Robert Downey Jr. as independent. You're like, it's him and he's wonderful and brilliant. But when you've got people that you don't necessarily know, I think it allows for greater suspension of disbelief and, I always find that really exciting. Like Sundance. It's almost like you get lost in those stories because you're not yeah. focused on the icon, the the care, the the person, but you get lost in the story that that person is playing. Yeah, it requires so, yeah. you to like lean forward a little bit more because you just you don't you just don't know. And and sometimes yeah. it just doesn't work. But right here, Sundance, you could just do it from home. You know, you could buy a day pass or a two week pass or a multiple film pass and saw a bunch of weird stuff and a bunch of great stuff. I love the shorts programs. It's probably my mm. favorite thing because if they suck, there's one coming right up. And if they're great, <laughs> really, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, that's so okay. Kind of the pocket. Yeah. So uh, other fantasy questions, Miles, you talked about actors or directors that you want to work with or projects. Any, what other fantasy questions? No, that was the one I really I wanted. Question. Like, I have a question. I, All right. What's your, crazy. what has been, or what do you hope to be, or not hope to be, but what in your, in your resume, what has been your favorite genre of type of, of portrayal or That's interesting. your favorite you know, thing you've done? I, you know, there's only like a certain amount of, I don't really have control over what I get to do, right? Like oh, I look the way yeah. I look and uh, I have certain, you know, even Daniel Day-Lewis plays the same types of characters. Like I would offer the his character in my left foot is still a strong-willed, intelligent man. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like he's yeah. 
plays the same Proctor, Abe Lincoln. He plays the same types of people, although he's yep. amazing at the character work. Bill the Butcher, these are all in the same pocket, right? So like even the greatest kind of, we're always kind of in the same pocket of things. And so mm. I play a lot of the same types of people that way because um, that's the game, right? Like I could be a happy cop, a sad cop, a dist- you know, any kind of cop, I'm your cop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really easy to do, but, uh, but I tend to play characters that are not that far from who I am because the camera knows, man. And yeah. back to our earlier question about authenticity, finding who you want to be and who you are and, and finding how, a way for those to mesh. Um, yeah. That's how you get a job is you can do all of that. And then you can also deliver the technical skills um, because yeah. we need the, the camera needs real people. Um, <laughs> so I, get, I do a lot of the same stuff. I, I will say there was a TV series that I did called Extinct that nobody saw, hence the name. Um, uh, I saw it. Yeah, there you go. BYU television. Yeah, my kids and I loved it. Oh, it was yeah. great. It, the the show was cool. Was, it was different, was really, but it was cool. Uh, it was really cool. I mean, I'm massively disappointed in the way that network handled things, but our yeah. experience with performers and artists was was pretty amazing. And it's fun to take something that long. You know, usually you play for me where I am at in my career. I'll play a character for a bunch of episodes or one episode. You're always a guest somewhere. So you're there in creating your own little world that's supposed to fit immediately into the world of these people who have been there for 10 years, five years working on the show, right? Like NCIS I did, and that's, that's the, at the time was the longest running show. It was like 13 years working with Mark Harmon and stuff. And it was awesome and it was super fun, but you're expected to be like part of that world without any preparation. And, right. and, and it's fun, it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, I think the most fun that I've ever, if there's ever a show I could have done forever, it was Les Mis. I did mm-hmm. Les Mis at Tuacon in my former years um, before I moved to grad school and stuff. And I, man, just singing those songs to people who loved it was just about as fun as it gets. Well, so there's, not a, there's not a better place uh, for, for a backdrop to perform at oh, Tuacon. Yeah. Just unbelievable. Oh, we had cannons exploding and stuff during the barricade. Oh, was, wow. That's it was awesome. a real group of artists that like real really meshed together really well. It was a, it was a good time, and I always think that like man, if that just had just kept going, I don't know, I don't know if I would have quit. I would have eventually. I know I would have because I wanted something bigger. But but you know, it's that's the thing about these is they're all precious because they're all going to go yeah. away. Yeah. Um, back to Steve's earlier point about you don't start over at the same level. I think that that I think that you will if you don't take risk though, right? Like if yeah. you. If you Good point. At a new level, if you take the risk to try something different, and then if you feel that you're challenged in the same way you were before, it can't be the same because you did the thing you were afraid of. I'm always a, I always try to like impart this to my friends and students about fear-based decision-making is probably the wrong choice. Yep. Um, I feel like there's some idea often about, well, if you don't feel good about it, or if you're scared of it, because fear can sometimes mean you don't feel good about it, then maybe it's the wrong choice. And I just disagree. Because if you're afraid of something, um, there could be some really big thing for you to learn or to grow from by doing the thing that you're afraid of. It doesn't mean that it's wrong uh, for you. And so, how do you, how do you lean into that? Because I, I I'm 100 with you. I think that oftentimes the thing we fear is most likely the thing that we should be doing. It's almost like something inside of your soul is fighting with that primal urge of protection. And yet 
that should probably be the thing we lean into. So what have, what have you found in leaning into that discomfort of um, taking that risk? I know you've used the word risk a lot, but how do, how do you do that? How do you lean in? I think the first chunk of times, I think youth and naivete help. Um, Cause you're like, whatever, let's just try. Um, a little bravado <laughs> is a, it's it, with our youth, right? Yeah. A little, I yeah. think. And, um, I think that the big thing is, is that if, if you, you have to, I don't know how you get the sand the first few times to do things like that, but when you do, you, I think ultimately always realize that it's going to be okay. That's okay. Mm. Like if you, if you walk through that door, um, in the haunted house and you get to the other side, like you're okay. It's okay. It was maybe scary, but it's going to be okay. And Especially it, with the vaping vampire there. The vaping vampire. Yeah. That, that, uh, that guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, his name was Randy. He had a name. Sorry. Uh, Randy. Ran- Sorry, Randy. Randy, the go. vaping vampire. Randy, the vaping vampire. But you have to learn that it's going to be okay. Right. Like it's that, it's like the fear of missing out thing too. Like it's, which I, I suffer from all of these things. Like I, I, when we were like, be on my podcast, I was like, don't you have like doctors and Olympic athletes and stuff? Like, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll hop in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think that you have to realize that, you know, like bad example, if, if you're like in on a vacation and you're worried about what you're going to miss by going on the vacation or you had a trip to Europe planned and you're worried about what you're going to miss at home. Ultimately, you didn't miss anything. You hardly ever miss anything. And, right. the, and same with the walk to taking the risks. Like it's pretty much always, I'd say always in my case, it's always been okay. Even when it's been hard, it, it's always okay. And so realizing that the thing that scares you, even if it happens in the worst possible way, it's probably going to be okay. These aren't life and death decisions we're talking about here. Like if they are, then this is bad advice. Do, do not do the thing you're afraid of. But, uh, <laughs> um, don't jump off the cliff. Don't jump. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, 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 but yeah. it's an important point. I, and I think it's, uh, you joked earlier about uh, Tim Ferriss, who um, obviously very well known and has written a lot of books and has uh, been very successful. And I think it was in his book, um, The Four Hour Workweek, where he talked about that you've got to look at what your margin of risk is. And most of the time, when you look at what, what are you risking? It's, it's uh, on a scale of one to 10, you're probably risking a five or less, even though in our minds, we tend to think that most of the risks we take are like a 10 or an 11. Yeah. Um, but when we Life look shattered. at rear view mirror, yeah, rear view mirror tells us it wasn't that much of a no. risk, but it's almost like, Matt, if I'm hearing you right, you've created a habit of taking these risks. So by taking the risk and doing that as a habit, has it made it easier for you? Now, I'm not saying has the fear gone away, but has it made it easier to lean in and take those risks on a regular basis? Yeah, I think, I think it definitely has. It's given me more confidence in my ability to not screw up my choices. Mm, okay. <laughs> uh, to realize that like, oh, it's going to be okay, right? Like it, it's giving me more confidence to say, like, let me just give you an example. Uh, there's a documentary film about acting that I watch with my students all the time. And there's, it's called that guy who was in that thing. If you want an inside look into. <laughs> I like that title. Um, but one of the, these actors on there talks about how his agent told him once, um, you got to learn to say no, no is the password to the next level. And uh, that's something that I have put into practice more so in the last three years I used to be, and I still am terrified of 
if an audition comes through or a script comes through that I should do it. I should do it because it's an opportunity. It's a job. It's a thing. Mm. Please, right. But my mentor in graduate school gave us this uh, litmus test to, to, to make decisions by. And I think this could apply to a, a lot of things. When, when choosing to take a role, in this, this case it's specific to acting, but I think you could change it. Um, it should fulfill two of three requirements. You should do it because you love the project that fulfills the love of the thing that you're doing, the passion. You should do it because it's financially rewarding. You're gonna make enough money off of it that it makes sense mm. for you to do it. It's profitable, like actual profit, not esoteric, but cash. Um, and, uh, and it's for the career advancement. It'll help you move up in some way, networking, a better opportunity, a better resume, whatever. So all of those things together. It has to be at least two of the three. Two of the three. So if okay. it's something that you get a lot of fulfillment art-wise out of or passion-wise out of, and it pays enough, but it's not going to do anything for you career-wise, still worth considering. If it's going to mm. do a lot for you career-wise and you're going to get money out of it, even though you hate it, maybe that's a hit you take so that you can move up. It's just, a, I use it often to look at, and what I find is what those three things are for me change from year to year. What mm. being passionate about it, um, where things that I'll say no to or yes to or pursue change, um, they move up. They, my, my standards for myself are higher than they were when I started. And then you'd hope so. Um, but yeah. I think that comes with taking the risk of being like, well, let's just see what happens. Ultimately, what happens if you don't do something like I said, like with a role, it's a very easy example. Like, let's say you, you had a job opportunity to go do, I, I passed on a movie in Utah a couple of years ago. Um, and then I booked something better here, but hmm. I was scared at the time that like, it's a bird in the hand. I should take it. I should take it. I should take it but it didn't in any way mark any of the three boxes. And so I passed and then I got something better. Um, mm. And even if I hadn't, you know, it's kind of, and those are, those are constant challenges. And maybe it's, be, I think everyone probably has that, whatever you're working on. Sure. Yeah. Constant, like, well, do I do this or do I not? Is this scary? Is scary good? I think scary is usually good. Scary is usually good. If it's easy, that's why it's comfortable. If you want to grow, I don't know, do the harder thing. I think the lit litmus test is important. And I think a, a lot of people would benefit from having their own litmus test when it comes to making their own decisions. And Matt, we're, we're running uh, sh short on time at this point, but I want to ask one last question here. So, you know, being a consistent actor like you have, and you've had a lot of different roles and you've taken some and you've turned some down, uh, but you've had to deal with rejection on a regular basis. Um, rejection is, I, I don't know what the stat is, but I've heard and I've read that people have more fear of speaking in front of other people. So they have a greater fear of public speaking than they do of death. And so, and, and I think part of that is rooted in our fear of rejection. So you have to deal with reject, rejection in your industry always. What have you learned from dealing with rejection? How have you been able to continue to move forward in the midst of rejection? Because before we're talking about, hey, I turned down a role, but you're always getting turned down for things. That's just what an actor does, right? Uh, and every actor. I, it's, I mean, I, I watched something the other day that talked about some of these big roles and uh, A-list actors are saying, oh, I want that role, I want that role, but it goes to one guy. And then 10 other people, that were maybe A-list actors don't get it. So how do you deal? What have you learned from having constant rejection? Um, I cry a lot. 
Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I can see that about you with uh, all the years that I've known you. I balled up in the corner, tears um, dripping. It's interesting. I think that good training goes a long way. Uh, acting mm. school, um, I've been doing this in some capacity since I was, you know, I was in like a children's performing arts group called the Sunshine Generation. Oh, um, my sister was in that. I forgot that <laughs> you, you and I talked about that. Yeah. My, my sister, sister Barb was in. Yeah. 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 But, uh, so you, you get, I don't know, I, I, I had an education in how to get in front of people, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and to get over that fear to some degree um, is constantly rooted in, in that. The thing about performance, though, is it's a controlled environment. So mm-hmm. you're up in front of people in a way that you're, you have a call, you have a saying, which is different than every day auditioning for something and getting told that you know. Um, I think the, the, the healthiest thing that I've been able to do, and I, I'm not always successful in this, is literally trying to, once the audition tape goes off or the audition is done, um, to let it go. Uh, hmm. Focus on the reality of time and that the, it's gone. It's done. You've, you've done the thing that you can do. Um, I think it was Gary Sinise or somebody, somebody some, some very well-known famous guy, I don't recall who, a prolific performer, he would literally wash his hands. He'd go in the bathroom after an audition and wash oh, wow. okay. to be like, I have to let this go. And I, 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 I don't physically do that, but that idea of that's done now, now what's next and trying to, to not focus on the things that you, that are past um, is the, is the big hook there because you, you, you you, you get rejected enough times. You also just kind of understand it's part of the game. That doesn't ever mean it gets easy, though. I think that yeah. making some false claim that like, well, I've figured it out. Let me. No. <laughs> right. Um, is I think anybody fault. that says that we know they're they're That's not true because I can't uh, imagine so it gets easy. Every right? rejection isn't easy for anybody in any yeah. circumstance. No. Um, sometimes it sucks more than others. You, I try yeah. really hard not to get my hopes up, but like just recently it happened. I had something that. Uh, I, I really, I didn't mean to, I couldn't help it. I just got my hopes up real big for this thing to work out and it didn't mm. uh, usually doesn't, but in those ones, are <laughs> but because, but I did that to myself, right? Like I, yeah, yeah. like you're going to get it. You just wait and see. Um, yeah. we're thinking, Oh, look at all the things that, you know, playing it out in my head. Um, and then I, and then I, you know, it didn't happen and it's just to come down, but I think that it's not. For me, it's not necessarily that I've, I've hacked a way to deal with it. It's that it's back to that earlier thing. I accept that in order to do this, that's something that I have to deal with. Yeah. You yeah. accept a certain level of discomfort with whatever your profession yeah. is. You're in construction, you're going to hurt your back. You're going to, if you play a sport, you're going to sprain. It's just the deal. And these are some of the risks that you take in this industry is emotionally being rejected all the time. And sometimes right. it's hurt and sometimes you'll be okay and you'll always be okay. But, but it's just a part of the deal. Like you. It's choosing your pain. It's interesting. You say that because I know you acted in the movie forever strong. And um, last week we recorded with uh, Larry Gelwicks and uh, had a, had a conversation with him and Larry, one of the, I think most impactful points that he impresses on people when he said it in the podcast, but he says it when he speaks a lot to organizations is that there are two types of pain in life. There's the pain of regret and there's the pain of hard work. And I don't think like what you're saying, the pain goes away when you're rejected. Uh, maybe you just have a better way of dealing with it or you, you, you uh, manage it a little bit better, but you're choosing your pain. 
And I think that's an important thing in life uh, that we can we can deal with the pain of regret because we've never put forth the preparation. We've never put forth the effort. We've never put forth the uh, ability to take the risk and then we've never risked. And so um, it does suck when you get rejected, I'm sure. And uh, but I would imagine it would suck a lot more to sit there on the couch and say, well, I never tried. I think so. And I think that if there's anything, that's the thing that drives you from, throwing your junk in the car and driving to Hollywood. Um, I mean, I didn't do that on a whim. I put in a lot of right. work, research and stuff to be yeah. qualified to even play the game. And then I took the risk, right? That's the difference. Yeah. It's not yeah. like, whatever, I'm going to be famous because I have an Instagram. I'm like, I'm gonna... <laughs> uh, showing but, up with well, I think uh, it's part of that, that followers. calculated yeah. preparation. Yeah. yeah Helps so a person know, be ready. And yeah. I, I would definitely rather not regret it the word we're all gonna die it's just a thing that's gonna yeah. happen and uh it's a legacy question i think too what when people tell your story what do you want it to be and I, yeah. there's not a right answer to that the right answer is what do you the want story, yeah the story you leave yeah, yeah it's call. a story you want to tell you're in charge yeah well, and on that note, uh, Matt, it, uh, it, we really appreciate the conversation. Yeah. It is time for us to wrap up another Evolve podcast. Uh, I do want to thank our guest, uh, my friend uh, Matthew Bellows, uh, for joining us today. My co-host, uh, Mr. Las Vegas, and Chef to the Amish, excuse me, Chef to the Amish, Mr. <laughs> Cal Milker himself, uh, Miles Riley. We've had a great conversation today, and we hope that you, our listeners, took something with you that uh, will help you in your personal evolution. Uh, Matt, I know you mentioned earlier that uh, in the midst of COVID, there is not a lot that has been happening, but you're, uh, you've got a new project that has come out called The Obituary of Tunde Johnson. Uh, how can people find that and how can they find you and contact you if uh, they're interested in the work that you do? Sure thing. The obituary of Tuday Johnson uh, premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival maybe a year and a half ago now. And it's available on iTunes Video On Demand. It's Great. You rent it. You don't get to stream it for free. Mm. Uh, and uh, you can find me at my name at Matthew Bellows on Instagram is a great way to keep in touch or MatthewBellows.com. If you want to track what I'm up to and doing and that kind of thing. And things are picking up out here. I wholeheartedly expect you to see more, more of me this year than you would really ever prefer. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. And I love seeing, I follow you uh, and follow the, the career path. Uh, every once in a while, I'm extremely fortunate. I get a chance to run into uh, your mom and dad at the gym when I'm working out and um hear hear the stories that you don't tell so uh that's great so uh at matthew bellows on instagram and then matthewbellows.com check out the obituary of tunde johnson on itunes and casey how do people find us at the evolve podcast and join the evolve community yeah come join the conversation our webpage evolve dash cast.com and at instagram at evolve underscore cast uh, we love your comments questions and feedback so come join the community and participate in all things evolving where we learn from each other and everyone always has a great story to share please uh, reach out to us it really is about the stories miles shakespeare once said that apparel the apparel oft proclaims the man tell our listeners how to pick up some of our evolve apparel well, you know, Shakespeare loved to dress really well. Anyway, um, 
Go to the Evolve website and go to the shop. We have dropped some new gear. We've got colorful shirts of Disrupt and Evolve. We've got water bottles. We've got camera phone cases, um, mugs, just a ton of stuff to uh, pick up at the uh, store. Also, our, our online, our Facebook um, Evolve Facebook page is up and running. Uh, come check out people. We're evolving in many different ways, whether it's grand or whether it's small. Um, come and join us, uh, our community there, and have some fun with us. Yeah, we'd love to highlight you, our listeners. If you have a, uh, an evolutionary in your life, somebody who's made a great change and is continuing to evolve, let us know. We'd like to highlight them on our Facebook page. Uh, so once again, Matthew Bellows, thank you, my friend, for joining us today for the Evolve podcast. Great to have you. We'd love to have you back to uh, talk a little bit more about what you are up to. Uh, thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of the Evolve podcast, a podcast that explores personal evolution through our choices and overcoming the challenges that life throws at us. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. Evolve. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Evolve Podcast. Join us next week as we revisit the concept of disrupt. It's time for spring cleaning. We want to disrupt you, your mind, your body, wherever you need disruption to clean out the garbage in your life. That's next time on the Evolve Podcast.